Please stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning. We'll continue our study in Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it or follow along if you would like, or you can just listen. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. May you use it this morning to encourage us. May you use it this morning to convict us, remind us of you, our Savior. Use it to remind us of your glory. Use it to remind us of your grace and your steadfast love and faithfulness. Open our ears and our hearts this morning. They may be receptive. Pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated if you would like. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for his glory and for our Good. We continue uh, this morning our series, our Advent series. It has been a look at Luke 2 and this proclamation from the angel that there's going to be a child born in the city that is a savior. We've looked at how Christ is a shepherd. He came to the shepherds and was proclaimed to the shepherds. He's proclaimed first to the lowly in the fields watching their sheep. How he himself came in such a lowly form. The baby born to a simple carpenter. We've looked last week at how he was a servant, how he came to serve us and not be served, as he proclaimed to his disciples. This week we're going to look at how Christ is a savior for all the world. We've been looking at it, though, alongside the life of David from the Old Testament. And the title of our Advent series has been Son of David, Son of God. And how the two of them, back and forth, David being a type of Christ, points in so many ways to this Christ who is to come, who will sit on the throne of the Davidic line for all eternity as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We come this morning looking at him as Savior, in a time where we don't think much about saving, right? I mean, this is a season of spending. I don't know about your checkbook, but mine is a little bit 
lighter than normal through the Christmas season. But Advent, we, we, we seem to only think about Advent as this time where we're coming to celebrate the birth of Christ. But Advent is really a season that the church throughout history has used to remind us of our longing for, our hoping for, not just in celebration of the birth of Christ, but of his second advent or his second coming as the risen Lord. It's something we all hope for. Even if you're here this morning, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're not churched. The, the, the things that, that Christianity talks about in the second coming of Christ are things your heart longs for. For justice for those who have been wronged. For healing for those who have been hurt. For the removal of that guilt and shame you can't shake. I spent a little bit of time uh, this week in researching for this on something called the internet. Well, the interwebs was out. There's a new thing called Google. You can type something in and just tons and tons of information show up. And I searched for this, this feeling I think we all have, this longing for justice. And um, as I read, I, what I stumbled upon were story after story of people who got what was coming to them. We love those stories, right? I mean, you love that when you know someone has done something that they need to be punished for, you love to see them get their punishment. We love when the bully finally gets beat up. And all throughout these stories, as you got to the comments section, it was obvious that everyone was waiting for it. And, and as the story went, there was one that the, there was a, a shop owner. He was in another country, and, and some young men came in to steal from him. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he caught them. And instead of turning them in, he said, you guys are dumb. You're idiots. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's not when you rob someplace. In the interview, he said, I told them if they robbed me now, they might get 1,000 euros. But if they came back later and robbed me, they'd get much more. Yeah, that's right. They came back later. And, and he caught them again. But this time, there were security waiting for them. And the security bursts out the door and arrests them and takes them away. And the comment section of this story just blows up with all the people talking about how courageous this shop owner was for not turning them in that time, but waiting for them to come back for more. And um, I mean, it's just story after story. We, we love that kind of story. What we're going to look at in 1 Samuel 17 today is a story that we all know. If you've never been to church before, I promise you know at least some of the story in 1 Samuel 17. It's been retold in classics like Hoosiers or Rocky. It's about the little guy who takes down the big guy. It's the story of David and Goliath. It's a story that, that cries out to us because we hope and long for it to be true in our own lives. Right? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but um, I love when people get what to do them when they've been wronging people for so long. And we hope for it. We long for it. For a savior of some kind to come along in this season and, and free us from all the things that we hate about Christmas time and all the things we hate about every other day of the year. My wife, before we had kids, was an educator. She was a first grade teacher and then a kindergartner and then a reading specialist. And that afforded me the opportunity to, to be a bigger nerd than I am. I love documentaries. Um, I love to watch them. I just think they're fascinating. And, and with her being a teacher, I got to watch someone education because I could pass it off as like, oh, you're a teacher. We should watch this and see what they say about how to fix the classroom. And there's one in particular. It's called Waiting for Superman. And uh, it starts with this 
um, gentleman named Jeffrey Canada, and Jeffrey is a pretty central part to this documentary, and he's talking about how much he loves Superman. But the documentary starts with him saying, one of the saddest days of my life was the day I realized Superman wasn't real. And he goes on to talk about how he had longed for Superman to be real, that he thought Superman was real, and as he lived and grew up in the ghetto, he knew that Superman was going to show up one day and was going was to beat up the bad people and take the good people somewhere safe. And he was in the fourth or fifth grade, he recalls, and he looked up at his mom and said, Mom, I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's coming. And she looked at him and said, Sweetie, Superman's not real. And his mouth hung open. And he said, but, and she said, he's not real. And he said he began to sob. And she thought he was sobbing because this fictional person he thought was real wasn't real. Jeffrey says he was sobbing because if Superman wasn't real, there wasn't something big enough or strong enough to come and save him and all the other good people that lived around him. He was waiting for a hero. You are waiting for a hero. You long for a hero. We all do. Today, as we look at Luke 2 and 1 Samuel 17, what we're going to see is a hero. A hero that the scripture says is a savior. We're going to look at two big things and a few small things under those big things. Big things are that, that what, what this hero, what this savior saves us from and what he saves us to. What he saves us from and what he saves us to. If you have your... Bible, you can open with me to Luke chapter 2. What does he save us from? Luke 2, beginning in verse 9, says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? They were filled with great fear. They were filled with great fear. You turn to the story of David and Goliath, you'll find fear all over those pages too. In 1 Samuel 17, when Goliath has first taunted the armies of Israel, it says that when Saul and all of Israel heard these words, they were what? They were dismayed and greatly afraid. A few verses later, it says, as they entered the battlefield, when they saw him, when they saw him, they fled from him and were much afraid. What are they afraid of? We know that's what they're saved from because the very next words from the angel in Luke 2 say, be not afraid. Why? Because I've got good news. What is that good news? It's that a Savior's been born. So he's saved them. So for some reason, they shouldn't be afraid because of this one who is coming. Why are they afraid? Well, if if you've got a Bible like mine, when you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and you turn back a page... You get a page that says the New Testament, and then you turn back another page, and you get the end of the Old Testament. For those shepherds, they they had lived in that time of nothing on those pages. They lived in a time of 400 years of no new revelation, no new prophecies, no prophets of the Lord. No, thus says the Lord, had been spoken for 400 years. And then the glory of the Lord appeared to them that starry, silent night in the fields as they watched their flocks. Yeah, they were afraid. You know, when we, when we read of the glory of the Lord in the Old Testament, what we read is that it is his presence. 
that descended upon the tabernacle and filled it. And Moses dared not enter. The glory of the Lord was this awe-inspiring, fear-inspiring presence of God. And it says that it shone around them. Those shepherds realize very quickly that what is shining around us right now is terrifying in its power and how pure and holy it is and how impure and unholy they were. And it's the same fear that overcomes Israel and Saul as they look across the battlefield at Goliath. Why are they afraid of Goliath? They can't beat him. They can't beat him. And so they cower. Now often we read the story of David and Goliath and it's real easy for us to think about what are, the, what are the giants in your life you need to slay or what five stones are you carrying into battle or you think of yourself as David and if we're honest with ourselves, we are Saul and all of Israel and we cower at fear of the things in front of us. What is it you're afraid of this Advent season? What weighs heavy on you? What keeps beating at you and you can't seem to overcome it? Is it the conversations that are going to come over Christmas dinner? Is it the feelings of inadequacy as a dad or a husband or a wife? I don't know what it is in your heart. But I know that you are filled with great fear. That something lurks and challenges you and you cower. Maybe it's the feeling of guilt and shame that you can't rid yourself of. That's what the shepherds realize. We can't rid ourselves of this guilt. The glory of the Lord shining around us and we are sinful, impure people. Well, take heart and know. Good news has been proclaimed. A Savior has been born. Who's good news and brings great joy to all the people. Israel had to, had to wait a little bit longer for them to be saved from their fear. They had to wait for this ruddy little kid to show up. See, he not only saves us from our fear, he saves us from our expectations. What do you go looking for when you look for a savior? You look for something that carries a big sword, that's strong enough to make you feel like it's doing something. That it can cover a little bit of the pain or cover a little bit of the shame. It can put lipstick on the pig for just a little while. And you keep searching. Goliath kept coming out and kept coming out and kept coming out and challenging them, defying their God, and they continued to look for a hero. And David comes into town having been sent by his daddy to bring food to his brothers. And he hears the words of Goliath and he says, what's going to be done? What's going to be done for the one who defeats him? And he'd already heard it, that they'd be given great riches and they'd be given the king's daughter. But I think he asked again, just so he could hear it again. I'm going to be rich and I'm going to get the lady. It's every fairy tale come true, right? And Eliab, his oldest brother, hears him. What does Eliab do? Chastises him, of course. Says in verse 28, his anger is kindled against David. He says, why have you come down? Why have you come down here, David? What are you doing, little bro? Why are you here? With whom have you left those few sheep? 
That's right, we only trust you with a few of them, and yet you're here. If you come down to watch the battle, that's what he thinks of his little brother. I grew up in, you know, not the biggest of towns, and so when exciting things happened, you liked to ride your bike to see them happen. And so as a, as a kid, if there was going to be a fight, I'd get on my bike and pedal to wherever the fight was supposed to be, and, and at a, from a safe distance, watch whoever it was fight one another. And that's what Eliab's saying David's doing. David, you, yeah, sure, you brought us some food, but you left your responsibilities, and now you're here really to see us get our butt whooped because none of us can beat the giant. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. Get out of here. You're just here to mock us from the sidelines. Some of you are here this morning and you think that's how Jesus is. That he shows up in your life and he's really just there to condemn you and mock you. That he's there to rub your nose and all the times you fail and all the times you don't get it right and all the times you don't figure it out. Where are you telling Jesus to get out of your life? Where are you telling Jesus he doesn't belong? Where are you telling Jesus he can't get it done? That he's just a brat and pestilent child? That's what Eliab's doing. It's not just Eliab, though. It's, it's Saul himself, right? Just a few verses later, Saul hears that there's somebody in the camp who's asking these questions and saying that he'll do it, and Saul calls David into his tent. And what does Saul say to David? You, you can't do this. You can't go against the Philistine. Why can't he go against the Philistine? Because you're but a youth. David was 14 to 17 years old when this happened. 14 to 17 years old. I don't know about you, but most of the 14 to 17-year-olds I interact with are like toothpicks with hair on top. And in runs this toothpick who's saying he's going to defeat the giant. And what does Saul say? Saul says, you can't. You're but a kid. And he has been a man of war since your age. You can't do it. You don't have the power or the strength you know, there are places where we tell Jesus to get out of our life, and there are places where we don't think Jesus has the power to actually do anything. We don't believe the promises of God. We don't believe the power of God. And so we say, you can't do it. I've got to go alone. I've got to fight this one alone, Jesus. Sit on the sidelines. You don't have what it takes, Jesus, to get this done. Let me try a little bit longer. Where are you banging your head against the wall? Where is your power not sufficient? Where do you expect to get something done? He can't get it done, you think. Matthew chapter 2, when you, you go looking for a savior, you go to where kings are born, right? I mean, that's what the Magi do. The, the wise men, it says in Matthew chapter 2, when they heard of this and they followed the star, they show up in the courts of Herod and ask, where is this who's been born king of the Jews? We go look in all kinds of places we think have power. We go look in all kinds of places that we think have leverage. We go look in all kinds of places we think are going to get something done for us and they fail again and again. And just like the wise men, we're looking in the wrong place. I don't know where you go and look. I don't know where you find your comfort. I don't know where it is that that you run and hide when you want to run and hide. 
But we all have somewhere that we retreat to. That we cower in the corner like the nation of Israel. But, but God saves us from those expectations. That it's going to be the power that, that does it. It's going to be this, this act of might that does it. Right? What, what, what does the angel say will be the sign? That it's going to be what? That a baby's going to be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Why does he say that? Because it's so unexpected. That the Savior of the world, Christ the King, is going to be lying in a manger wrapped in cloths. Not where you expect to find him. Not where you expect to see him. And, 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 and David even goes on to say that it's, the Lord doesn't save with spear or sword, Right? saves in the most unexpected way by laying down his life by the shedding of his blood by his death and resurrection we go looking for things of this world that yield power and influence and none of them can get the job done it's the unexpected that gets the job done it's the one who came as we heard last week to serve not be served It's the one who lays his life down for those he loves. But he doesn't just save us from things. He saves us to things. Once we realize we've got a Savior, some things change. Some things happen. What happens when David runs out and he slays Goliath? Those cowering Israelites all of a sudden muster up courage. It's like William Wallace standing in front of them yelling freedom and they take the battlefield. And chase after the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. Those same ones who were scared and cowering now have the courage to storm the field in victory. Are you storming the field in victory? And I'm not talking about the Clemson type where they always meet at the middle, win or lose. I'm talking about the type where we knocked off the biggest foe, the greatest foe death itself, defeated by the Savior who has come? Are you venturing into life knowing victory? Are you storming the field and chasing what's left of the enemy with the light of the good news of the gospel? Are you still afraid? Are you still cowering? Saves us also to a story that's bigger than us. You know, we can read Luke 2 and, and, and read about the shepherds and think about how awesome the shepherds are. We can read the story of David and Goliath and go, man, David is some kind of hero. What a king David must have been. But David doesn't let us do that. David himself refocuses us. It's the key to all of 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, David begins in verse 45. He says to Goliath the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, For this battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David could have walked out there and just said, I'm the man, Goliath, and I'm going to take you down. 
I've got what it takes to take you down. I've trained for this day. That's not what he does. He walks out and says, the Lord is going to deliver you over. And by doing it, all of the world that watches this is going to know that there is a God in Israel. That he's the God. He's the living God. And they are going to know that our Lord saves not with spear and with sword, but with the ruddy little handsome kid from Bethlehem town who carried five stones in a sling, who was but a youth. It's a story bigger than David, and David realizes it. Now, he gets mixed up later in life. We get that. He's not perfect. He needs a Savior just as we need a Savior. But he realizes even here in 1 Samuel 17 that he has a Savior. It's not him who will deliver the Philistines to Israel. It is the Lord, Christ the child who was born. Turn to, to Luke 2, and it, it closes with the shepherds telling everyone once they had found Jesus. It says they, they told all that had been concerning. They made known all that had been said about this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds said. And then it says they left, glorifying and praising God for what they had seen. The glory of God shone around them, and they hear, Fear not, for a child has been born who is a Savior. And they leave their sheep in the fields to go and find him. Because it's so sweet to hear those words. It's so sweet to hear that there is something that has come to save you. You know, Jeffrey Canada tells us that he wept. Because Superman wasn't real. And if Superman wasn't real, that nothing big enough and strong enough was there to pull him from the depths of his hell and the ghetto he grew up in. The shepherds, as they leave, they're not weeping. For what they found was just as they were told it would be. They found a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, who had been born Savior, Christ the Anointed One. Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Emmanuel, God with us. You've been saved. You've been saved from the fears that you wrestle with day in and day out. You've been saved from the weight of your guilt and shame. You've been saved from the weight of your own expectations on yourself and on others. You've been saved from the expectations you have of what a Savior is. That one low, born as a baby, laid in a manger, would walk up the hill at Calvary and lay down his life. Lay down his life out of love for you that you might know salvation. That you might know freedom and that you might be invited to join a bigger story this Christmas season. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, who is beyond all of our expectations, who defies all of our expectations, who is far greater and grander than we can even imagine. 
and whose sacrifice is far more than we will ever understand until we are in glory with you. We pray as we are in this season of Advent that we remember the good news of the gospel that brings joy to all people and in it we would yearn for and long for the return of Christ, our Savior, the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.